First Corinthians chapter number one, first Corinthians chapter number one, and in just a very few moments I'll begin reading from verse number one of the chapter, and with the help of the Lord, be reading through verse number nine. Thank you so much, Pastor Gravely, for the opportunity to be here at the Jubilee meeting. And I, I probably say more about this tomorrow, but do I have a story to tell you? The preacher texted me the address of where the meeting would be held, and I started on the way uh, to go to that particular address, and I thought to myself, this is not right. This does not look like Bible Baptist Church. So I finally got so discouraged, I thought, well, maybe that address was a, uh, it was a contact address. The preacher was out doing visiting, and he sent me a contact address. So I put in the address of Bible Baptist Church. Well, when I pulled up on the lot, I thought to myself, oh, poor old preacher, he's going to be discouraged. Ain't nobody here. <laughs> then I thought, well, I know the rapture hadn't taken place because I'm still around here. And I always tell our missionaries at Macedonia, whatever you do, you be on time. Well, little did I know one of our missionaries called me and said, preacher, where are you at? Brother Benji Bowden's around here somewhere, but I made it, and I praise the Lord. A little late, but I made it. I enjoyed the singing and looking forward to the service tonight. Looking forward to hearing my friend and one of my heroes, my grandpa Pete, preach just a little bit after I get through, Brother Joe Arthur, so I'm excited about that. First Corinthians chapter number one, verse number one, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that ye come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, Amen. by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I want to encourage you, if you would please, to leave your Bible open. All few points of the message will be taken directly from the text that I've just been blessed to read within your hearing tonight. Let's bow our heads, shall we? for a moment of prayer. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, tonight for the wonderful singing. And then I want to thank you for the inspired, inerrant, infallible, impeccable, indestructible word of the living God of glory. Father, I know that you honor your word above your own name. Oh, I pray you do so tonight. Help me, I pray. I want to be a blessing. Therefore, I pray you cleanse me of sin and self. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. Make a preacher out of me tonight. And I'll give you glory and honor for truly thou art worthy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. 
It is while reading the 18th chapter of the book of Acts, we discover that God used the apostle Paul to establish the local church at Corinth. However, having departed the city for Ephesus after a relatively short time there, Paul began to learn of serious issues that had arisen within the church, which in turn were distracting the Corinthians from keeping the main thing the main thing. And therefore, Paul is writing the letter before us in order to remind these Corinthians what God intended for the main thing to be. I want you to hear what I'm getting ready to say tonight. Are you listening? Say amen. Amen. God never intended his local church to major on discord, distraction, or drama. Those things could never be and should never be considered to be the main thing. The main thing is the worship. The main thing is the work of God. The main thing is not only the enlistment of the saints, but the evangelization of the sinner for the glory of God. In fact, Paul makes that abundantly clear as early as the first few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter number one. Therefore, let's consider, just by way of introduction, Paul's introduction to the epistle before us. First of all, if you'll look in verse number one, in verse number one of this chapter, we see what Paul has to say about the greeters. We not only read about the apostle, but we read about his associate as well as we read about a man by the name of Sosthenes. So in 1 Corinthians chapter number one, in verse number one, we read and study of the greeters. Now look at verse number two. In verse number two, we see what Paul has to say about the greeted as the Bible teaches us in the text that Paul is writing to the church of God, which is at Corinth. The greeted, verse number two. Now look, if you would please, in verse three. In verse number three, we read about what Paul has to say about the greeting. Paul writes, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The greeting, verse number three. But then when you study this particular chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll discover that beginning with verse four and continuing through verse seven, here we see what Paul has to say about the gifts. Notice what he says beginning with verse four. Paul writes, as he was led of the Holy Ghost to do so, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, beginning with verse four and continuing through verse seven, here Paul is writing about the gifts specifically. He mentions in the text the gifts of grace, utterance, and knowledge that God had blessed the church of Corinth with. In fact, I believe when you study your Bible, you discover as I have that God had gifted the church of Corinth in many different ways. However, as a result of carnal issues that had crept into the church, there was a danger of misusing those gifts and ultimately taking those gifts for granted. And therefore, Paul is inspired of the Holy Ghost of God to pin this letter that he might admonish and in fact implore the Corinthians 
not to make the mistake in doing so. In fact, the immediate occasion of Paul pinning the first few verses of this particular book of the Bible can actually be seen or detected in verses 6 and 7 where Paul writes, Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, watch your Bible now, verse 7, so that ye come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here was the problem with the church of Corinth. They were coming behind. They were bringing up the rear when it came to the work of God as a result of carnality that had arisen within the church. Do you know what their problem was? They had been distracted from keeping the main thing the main thing. And every time I read this particular portion of the Bible, particularly as I zero in on verses 6 and 7, I am reminded, ladies and gentlemen, of the sad plight of many churches across our great country today. God has blessed them too with various gifts. Gifts in order for them to be effective for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, more times than not, as a result of carnal issues that often arise within the local church, they too make the same mistake these Corinthians had made in failing to keep the main thing, the main thing. You know what our problem is more times than not we focus on the temporal as opposed to the eternal and we come behind in the service of the Lord. It sort of reminds me of a story I heard on one occasion about two discouraged pastors. They wanted to get together one day and cry on each other's shoulder a little bit. And so they picked out a local restaurant and they met at that restaurant to have a cup of coffee together. The restaurant was decorated with a western motif and the booth they were sitting in was right beside a picture that hung on the wall of an old western locomotive. One discouraged pastor looked at that, uh, that old train from the west and he said, you know, I, I know we may be a little discouraged today, but as I look at that train on the wall, I see uh, some of my church members in that train. Uh, first of all, look at that engine. That engine, care, that engine pulls the load uh, to take the load off of the rest of those cars in that train. And he said, can I just testify a little while here? God has sent me some church members that are willing to get in there with me and help me pull the load of ministry. And I'm thankful for those engine church members that help me pull the load in the soul winning, that help me pull the load when it comes to giving, that help me pull the load when it comes to reaching our community for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that encouraged the other brother, Brother Gravely, and he spoke up and said, well, you know what? If you've got some church members like that engine that are willing to help you pull the load, can I just give a word of testimony? I've got some church members like the cars of that train. You see, the engine pulls the load, but the cars of that locomotive, they carry the load. 
And that second pastor said, can I just give a word of testimony? I'm thankful that I got some good old-fashioned Bible-believing deacons that helped me carry the load of ministry in my local church. I'm not having to bear all of the burden alone. Oh, no. When it comes to soul winning, when it comes to missions outreach, when it comes to missions giving, I've got some folks in my church that are willing to help me carry the load. And just about the time those two pastors started feeling somewhat more encouraged, they looked beyond the engine and they looked beyond the cars and they saw that final car in the locomotive. How many of you know what that final car is called? It's called a caboose. Now, all you young ladies, uh, 16 years and under, you'll have to Google that when you get home. I understand you probably don't know what a caboose is. But those pastors looked at that caboose and they thought to themselves, you know, we may have a few uh, church members that are helping us pull the load and a fewer church members that are helping us carry the load. Uh, But we got a lot of church members like that old caboose in that locomotive and they are content to be pulled along by the rest of us that's carrying our share of the load of ministry. Do you know what their problem is? Just like the local church of Corinth, they're content to come behind in the work of the Lord. I want you to know that was the problem at the church of Corinth. They were bringing up the rear, brother. They were coming behind in the work of God. So much, in fact, that Paul was writing according to verse seven to admonish them not to come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now with that in mind I want to preach on this thought for the next very few moments. I'm preaching on this thought there's no excuse for being a caboose. I want you to know God sent me here to tell whatever member, whatever church you are a member of, when it comes to the work of God, when it comes to giving, when it comes to going, when it comes to getting things done for the glory of God, there's no excuse for being a caboose. There's no excuse for bringing up the rear. I know what you're thinking. I had the blessing of pastoring independent fundamental temperamental Baptist for 22 years and somebody here is thinking tonight, preacher you just don't know how bad, no no there is no excuse for you not being like that engine and pulling your share of the load, there is no excuse uh, for you not to get in there with your preacher and help him carry the load of ministry God sent me here to tell you tonight there is no excuse for being a caboose In fact, I've always found it interesting that here in our key text this evening, Paul not only warns these carnal Corinthians of the danger of coming behind, but here within the text, he goes on to give them a few reasons why there was no excuse for bringing up the rear in the service of the Lord. And I want you to know there is a reason, ladies and gentlemen, God has forever preserved these verses in our King James Bibles tonight. Just as they were real in Paul's day and applicable in Paul's day, they're just as real, they're just as applicable in our day. There is no excuse for us not giving the Lord Jesus our all. 
Can I give you three reasons why there's no excuse for being a caboose directly from the Bible tonight? First of all, there's no excuse because of the coming of the Lord. Can I prove it to you? Look at verses 7 and 8. Paul writes, so that ye come behind in no gift waiting for what? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, listen to me tonight, church. There is a reason why we can and should serve God to the fullest extent. There is a reason why we don't have to come behind when it comes to reaching the world with the gospel or reaching our fullest potential for the cause of Christ. There is something tonight, dear brother, that ought to motivate you to get up off of a padded pew and make your life count for Christ. Can I tell you what it is? It is the coming of the Lord. Hey, God sent me here to tell you tonight, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. 318 times in the New Testament of the Bible alone, Jesus said, I will come again. And if Jesus said, I will come again, listen, if Jesus said it one time, you can take it to the bank, but I wonder if he wanted us not to miss it by saying it 318. 18 times in the New Testament of the Bible alone. Jesus is coming. Two things about the coming of the Lord you and I ought to be reminded of tonight. First of all, the coming of the Lord is imminent. Do you know what that means? It means it could happen at any moment. It could happen just like that. By the way, that's the greatest diet plan I know, the rapture plan. When we see him, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. His coming is imminent. One of my heroes, Dr. Allen, is here tonight, and I've heard Dr. Allen say it so many times. There's not one more thing that has to be fulfilled in that stopping the Lord Jesus from coming and gathering his bride away, taking his church out of this world. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. His coming is imminent. I want to say his coming is immediate. It will be immediate. I want you to know that means it can happen just like that. In fact, it can happen A lot faster than that. In a moment, not in a blinking of an eye, it's going to happen much faster than that. In the twinkling of an eye, that's faster than the blinking of an eye. Jesus is coming. And when Jesus comes, his coming will be immediate. Now, there's a lot of preaching that could and should be done right here. Let me just say this. Did you realize the book of 1 John teaches us that there will be those that will leave at the rapture without a shout? They will leave with a shiver, ashamed. Are you listening to me? Ashamed at the life they've lived for Jesus. Can I tell you something? 
When Jesus comes, you won't be able to say, hey, Lord, wait a minute. I'm not right with my neighbor. We had cross words last week. Let me go back and get that. To, oh, no, no. There'll be no time for that then, friend. His coming will be immediate. You won't be able to say, Lord, I haven't tithed faithfully in 10 to 15 years. Let me go back, Lord, before I stand at the judgment seat and get things taken care of with my tithes and my offers. Lord, I haven't led a soul to Jesus in years. Let me go back and try to win my lost family member. No, there'll be no time for that, ladies and gentlemen. When Jesus comes, it will be immediate. He's coming. Boy, that ought to motivate you. Did you know, did you know it was possible to love the Lord and not love his return? Can I illustrate it like this? When I was a little boy, my mom and daddy owned a Western Auto store in North Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Now, my daddy grew up in the Depression days. He was born May the 5th, 1925. And so he grew up working. In his day, if you didn't work, you didn't eat. So if you were going to put food in your belly, you had to get out in the field. You had to do something. Get a job, do something. Amen. And uh, I think that's a pretty good idea myself. Amen. And uh, so my daddy would work a good eight, nine, ten hours at his Western Auto store. And he would go home after that and go to work in his garden. He raised probably an acre worth of vegetables as long as I can remember, as long as God gave him strength to do so. He raised a garden. And they didn't just raise that stuff to give it away. He would freeze it and they would can that stuff. So at that time, Western Autos not only sold uh, car parts and things like that, they sold everything. They were the Sears and Roebucks of uh, their day before Walmart came along. If you wanted something like a freezer or uh, a shotgun or a fishing rod or even toys, you would go to the local Western Auto. My daddy sold all those things. Well, I remember my daddy saved his money and he bought a brand new, the biggest Wizard Frigidaire freezer, and he was going to put vegetables in that freezer that he had raised in his garden. I remember it was solid white. So I remember the day when the moving truck came and they took our old freezer away and Daddy had worked so hard. He was so proud of that brand new uh, humongous freezer that he put it in the basement of our house and the next day he went to work. Well, I was there at the house that day and my sister was there with me but she was upstairs doing something else and so I got to looking at that big white freezer, that big white canvas on that freezer. And I got to look at over there on the shelf in the basement. And Daddy had all different kinds of colors of spray paint. And I got to thinking, you know, I bet you Daddy would appreciate a nice picture on that freezer. And so uh, some of y'all must have the same Daddy I had growing up. And uh, so I took Brother Joe, I took... Uh, those cans of spray paint, Dr. Allen, and I begin to spray that brand spanking new freezer that my daddy just brought home from the Western Auto Store. And when that, that paint started running, I thought to myself, ooh, this is, this is not turning out as good as I thought it would. Maybe I should get it off 
and stop while I'm ahead. So I ran upstairs and got one of Mama's nicest towels. And I came down and I took that big, beautiful, fluffy towel and I began to try to get that paint off. Did you notice I say try? I tried to get that paint off. And the more I tried to get it off, the more awful that picture looked. So I finally gave up on it and I went and hid. Because I knew my daddy was coming home. I still remember the day when my daddy's 1972 Chevrolet pickup three-speed on the column pulled into the driveway and I heard the door shut. And I don't know what mama wanted downstairs, but something, I guess from heaven said, look, you need to go downstairs right now. My mama went downstairs that day and I thought, well, here we go. <laughs> and about that time I heard that familiar sound. Joseph Scott Cut. She didn't even call my sister's name. It was like she knew from the beginning. It wasn't my sister that did it. It was me that done it. And I want to tell you, would to the Lord in glory if somebody would have told my mama and my daddy about time out. The only time out I knew about growing up, listen, was time out at a place called the woodshed. How many of you know what I'm talking about? In our day, we called it the hoorah bush. You didn't want to go to the hoorah bush because that was when you would get this lesson. Son, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And I always wanted to say, yeah, but not in the same place. Amen. Now, can I tell you, on that day, I loved my daddy. I loved him. But I did not love his appearing. I loved my mama. But I did not love her appearing. And I want you to know when you study your King James Bible, that same Bible you and I say we believe from cover to cover. Listen, I want you to know this Bible teaches us that it is possible to love the Lord and not love the Lord's appearing. You can't live a half-hearted, lethargic Christian life, not be a soul winner, not be a giver, be in and out and up and down when it comes to the service of the Lord and expect when Jesus comes in the clouds to leave with a shout, no sir, you will leave with a shiver, I will leave with a shiver, ashamed at the life we've lived on this earth for the cause of Christ. So I want you to know tonight, ladies and gentlemen, there is no excuse for coming behind in the service of the Lord, for not being right with your brother, for not being a giver, for not being a soul winner, for not being involved in the work of God. There is no excuse for being a caboose because of the coming of the Lord. Secondly, there is no excuse for being a caboose because of the consistency of the Lord. Can I show it to you? Verse number nine. Paul shared three words with these carnal Corinthians that were inspired of God to motivate them to go on for God. 
Do you see those three words in verse number nine? God is faithful. Can I just give you a word of personal testimony tonight? It's those three words that keep me going for God. It's those three words that want me to that cause me to want to give my all to the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Hear me tonight, ladies and gentlemen, you and I do not have to come behind when it comes to making a difference in this world for Jesus because whereas man may fail us, friends may forsake us, Jesus will never fail. Jesus will be content with such things as you have for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Listen to me, church. We don't have to come behind. We don't have to bring up the rear when it comes to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be all that God desires for us to be, not only because of the coming of the Lord, but because of the consistency of the Lord. Here's a message. God is faithful. Number one, the person of God's faithfulness. God. Paul did not say that men were faithful. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 20, a faithful man who can find. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. It's God's will for us to be faithful, but how many times do we fall short? Drop the ball. How many times do we end up not being what God would have us to be? Can I say something that you and I both ought to get beyond our heads to the point that it finds a lodging place in our hearts, men at their best will fail us. Can I say that again? Men at their best will fail us. But God, God will never fail. The person of faithfulness, God, the permanence of faithfulness is... Do you know what the word is? is? It is a helping verb that is always used in the present tense. Do you know what that means? I'll tell you what that means. When you woke up this morning, God is faithful. When you go to bed tonight, God is faithful. When you've got plenty of money and all of the bills are paid, hallelujah, God is faithful. But when you got more month at the end of the money than you do money at the end of the month, God is faithful. Let me put it like this. I'll say it just like we used to say it. In the foothills of North Carolina or North Carolina. If the Bible says that God is faithful, there'll never be a time when God ain't faithful. He's faithful. 
He's faithful in your good days, but he's faithful when your heart is breaking in two. He's faithful when everything is right, but he's faithful when everything is wrong. He's faithful when you're hitting the right notes, but he's faithful when the strings are all out of tune. I want you to know God is faithful. God is faithful. I say to you tonight, God is faithful. And if he is faithful, there'll never be a time, my friend, when God isn't faithful. He is faithful. God is faithful. The person of God's faithfulness, God. The permanence of God's faithfulness is. And then you see the persona of God's faithfulness because the word faithful is a word that literally personifies the God we serve. That is exactly why John said in Revelation chapter 3, then called him the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Therefore, before I give you my last point, let me just preach real plain right here. Some of us, including me, need to quit blaming our lack of enthusiasm for the ministry on the fact that somebody else let us down. Brother Blue, one of my heroes of the faith is Dr. Stinnett Blue. I guess he's, especially when it came to missions, when it comes to missions, he is my mentor. Dr. Blue has challenged me. He says, keep up with the totals of the faith promise offerings that come in through the year. He said it'll challenge you to do more. And when he first said that, I thought, I don't know about that. But every time I saw him, he'd ask me, how much you got this year? So, Dr. Ballou, I started keeping up with it this year. Started writing at the margin of my Bible. And uh, so if you were to ask me tonight, I'll tell you. I know the total, but I'm shooting for the first time for over a million dollars raised for world evangelism. I believe God can do that. I believe God is able. And, of course, every time I say something like that to Dr. Blue said, well, I've raised over a million dollars for the last 140 years. That's exactly right. I have no doubt about it. But can I tell you, I love Dr. Stinnett Ballou, a hero, a mentor. But Dr. Ballou at his best is just a man. There could come a time when Dr. Ballou would let me down. I'd hate to think it. But there could come a time when my friend Dr. Sammy Allen could let me down. There could come a time when Dr. Joe Arthur could let me down. But can I tell you in the wheeze hours of the morning when Dr. Arthur, Dr. Allen, or Dr. Blue can't be there for me, there is a friend that sticks closer than any brother. I'm telling you, he is faithful. He's faithful in the good times. He's faithful in the bad times. He's faithful when everything is right. But he's just as faithful when everything is wrong. God is faithful. Oh, the consistency of the Lord. He is faithful. And then finally, there's one other reason why 
there's no excuse for being a caboose. Not only the coming of the Lord, not only the consistency of the Lord, but in verses 10 and beyond, you see what Paul had to say about the calling of the Lord. Paul writes in verse number 10 and says this, Now I beseech you. Can I encourage you to underline that word beseech? It's a very strong word. It means to literally beg. Paul said, I beg you, brethren. Then to add weight, notice what Paul said following. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That ye all speak the same thing. Now, I I want you to say amen if you're reading the text with me. I'm just preaching the Bible. Are you reading it with me? All right. And that there be no divisions among you. All I'm doing is reading the Bible. But that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And I'll not take the time to read the rest of the chapter, but as you read on into the chapter, you'll discover that Paul begins to address some of the carnal issues that had arisen within the church, which in turn had caused division among the membership. There were those that were placing more emphasis on ministers within the church than they were the master. There were those that were placing more emphasis on saints than they were the sovereign. Therefore, in verse number 10 and beyond, through the pen of the apostle Paul, God begins to call them back into fellowship. The calling of the Lord. Therefore, may I say to you tonight, hey, listen. Can I give you my word, number one, as a gentleman? Then number two, as a Christian, I give you my word. I'll do my best to seek peace and pursue it with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Say, well, preacher, did did you see what they said about you on the internet? Oh, yeah, believe me. Well, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. 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 If you go to fielding every accusation, boy, you ain't going to get nothing done for Jesus. Let me tell you why I don't worry about things like that. Brother, there are too many churches that need planted. There are too many missionaries that need to get to the field. There are too many lost people in my community that's going to go to hell while I fight wars on the internet. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 10 and 11. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Seek peace and ensue it. You know what that word ensue means? It means to go after it with all your heart. Now, please don't misunderstand. 
I'll fight all day long about the King James Bible. But I ain't fighting you over the color of carpet or the color of toilet paper in the bathroom. I ain't fighting you over those things. Don't you think it's time to keep the main thing the main thing? Stay focused. Stay in the fight. Because I assure you, should Jesus come tonight, we'll be glad that we did. The calling of the Lord. Thank you, preacher. Would you stand to your feet all over the building?